a journal of the plague year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 28 Now the author returns to a consideration of the first months of the visitation. How is it, he wonders, if the plague is spread through contact with infected persons, that the bills of mortality recorded such wide gaps, one as long as nine weeks, between plague-related deaths during the spring of 1665? Could it be that the disease can lie dormant inside people before rendering them contagious? Could the disease be spread by other methods? Did cold weather impede its spread? No, he concludes, the gaps in recording were not caused by a slowness of the rate of infection, but were the result of official corruption, as families bribed searchers and parish officers to record deaths under other rubrics, and so avoid shunning and the shutting up of their houses. But as the extent of the disease became impossible to conceal, and as people came to understand that seemingly well people could be carrying the infection, they began to sequester themselves in earnest, in a manner that is going to sound familiar to those listening to this podcast in the spring and summer of 2020. But then, as now, some people could not observe, or otherwise ignored, this tactic, whether out of need for employment or a disregard of the danger. There follows at this point in the narrative what can only be described as a rant against the poor, who, quote, went on with the usual impetuosity of their tempers, full of outcries and lamentations when taken, but madly careless of themselves, foolhardy and obstinate, while they were well, unquote. How closely the accounts of this episode accord with the behavior of some today, including some of our own officials, I will leave to you to decide. was indeed one difficulty which I could never thoroughly get over to this time, and which there is but one way of answering that I know of, and it is this. The first person that died of the plague was on December 20 or thereabouts, 1664, and in or about Longacre, whence the first person had the infection was generally said to be from a parcel of silk imported from Holland, and first opened in that house. But after this we heard no more of any person dying of the plague, or of the distemper being in that place, till the 9th of February, which was about seven weeks after, and then one more was buried out of the same house. Then it was hushed, and we were perfectly easy as to the public for a great while. For there were no more entered in the weekly bill to be dead of the plague till the 22nd of April, when there were two more buried, not out of the same house, but out of the same street. And, as near as I can remember, it was out of the next house to the first. This was nine weeks asunder, and after this we had no more till a fortnight, and then it broke out in several streets and spread every way. Now the question seems to lie thus. Where lay the seeds of the infection all this while? How came it to stop so long and not stop any longer? Either the distemper did not come immediately by contagion from body to body, 
or if it did, then a body may be capable to continue infected without the disease discovering itself many days, nay weeks together, not even a quarantine of days only, but soixantine, not only forty days, but sixty days or longer. It is true there was, as I observed at first, and is well known to many yet living, a very cold winter and a long frost which continued three months, and this, the doctors say, might check the infection. But then the learned must allow me to say that if, according to their notion, the disease was, as I may say, only frozen up, it would, like a frozen river, have returned to its usual force and current when it thawed, whereas the principal recess of this infection, which was from February to April, was after the frost was broken and the weather mild and warm. But there is another way of solving all this difficulty, which I think my own remembrance of the thing will supply. And that is, the fact is not granted, namely, that there died none in those long intervals from the 20th of December to the 9th of February, and from thence to the 22nd of April. The weekly bills are the only evidence on the other side, and those bills were not of credit enough, at least with me, to support an hypothesis or determine a question of such importance as this. For it was our received opinion at the time, and I believe upon very good grounds, that the fraud lay in the parish officers, searchers, and persons appointed to give account of the dead, and what diseases they died of. And as people were very loath at first to have the neighbors believe their houses were infected, so they gave money to procure, or otherwise procured, the dead persons to be returned as dying of other distempers. And this, I know, was practiced afterward in many places. I believe I might say in all places where the distemper came, as will be seen by the vast increase of the numbers placed in the weekly bills under other articles of diseases during the time of the infection. For example, in the months of July and August, when the plague was coming on to its highest pitch, it was very ordinary to have a thousand to twelve hundred, nay, to almost fifteen hundred a week, of other distempers. Not that the number of those distempers were really increased to such a degree, but the great number of families and houses, where really the infection was, obtained the favor to have their dead be returned of other distempers to prevent the shutting up of their houses. For example, between the 1st of August and the 26th of September, the bills recorded 9,756 who died of other diseases beside the plague. Now, it was not doubted, but the greatest part of these, or a great part of them, were dead of the plague, but the officers were prevailed with to return them as above, and the numbers of some particular articles of distemper discovered during the same period is as follows. Fever, 2,671. Spotted fever, 1,115. Surfeit, 543. Teeth, 946. For a total of 5,275. There were several other articles which bore a proportion to these, and which, it is easy to perceive, were increased on the same account, as aged, consumptions, vomitings, impostumes, gripes, and the like, many of which were not doubted to be infected people, but as it was of the utmost consequence to families not to be known to be infected, if it was possible to avoid it, so they took all the measures they could to have it not believed, and if any died in their houses, to get them returned to the examiners and by the searchers as having died of other distempers. 
This, I say, will account for the long interval which, as I have said, was between the dying of the first persons that were returned in the bill to be dead of the plague and the time when the distemper spread openly and could not be concealed. Besides, the weekly bills themselves at that time evidently discover the truth, for while there was no mention of the plague and no increase after it had been mentioned, yet it was apparent that there was an increase of those distempers which bordered nearest upon it, for example, there were eight, twelve, seventeen of the spotted fever in a week, when there were none, or but very few, of the plague, whereas before, one, three, or four were the ordinary weekly numbers of that distemper. Likewise, as I observed before, the burials increased weekly in that particular parish, and the parishes adjacent more than in any other parish, though there were none set down of the plague all of which tells us that the infection was handed on and the succession of the distemper really preserved, though it seemed to us at the time to be ceased and to come again in a manner surprising. It might be also that the infection might remain in other parts of the same parcel of goods which at first it came in, and which might not be perhaps opened, or at least not fully, or in the clothes of the infected persons, for I cannot think that anybody could be seized with the contagion in a fatal and mortal degree for nine weeks together, and support his state of health so well as even not to discover it to themselves. Yet if it were so, the argument is the stronger in favor of what I am saying, namely that the infection is retained in bodies apparently well, and conveyed from them to those they converse with, while it is known to neither the one nor the other. Great were the confusions at that time upon this very account, and when people began to be convinced that the infection was received in this surprising manner from persons apparently well, they began to be exceedingly shy and jealous of every one that came near them. Once, on a public day, whether a Sabbath day or not, I do not remember, in Aldgate Church, in a pew full of people, on a sudden one fancied she smelt an ill smell, Immediately she fancies the plague was in the pew, whispers her notion or suspicion to the next, then rises and goes out of the pew. It immediately took the next, and so to them all, and every one of them, and of the two or three adjoining pews, got up and went out of the church, nobody knowing what it was offended them, or from whom. This immediately filled everybody's mouths with one preparation or another, such as the old women directed, and some perhaps as physicians directed, in order to prevent infection by the breath of others, insomuch that if we came to go into a church when it was anything full of people, there would be such a mixture of smells at the entrance that it was much more strong, though perhaps not so wholesome, than if you were going into an apothecary's or druggist's shop. In other words, the whole church was like a smelling bottle. In one corner it was all perfumes, in another aromatics, balsamics, and a variety of drugs and herbs, in another salts and spirits, as every one was furnished for their own preservation. Yet I observed that after people were possessed, as I have said, with the belief, or rather assurance, of the infection being thus carried on by persons apparently in health, the churches and meeting-houses were much thinner of people than at other times before than they used to be. For this is to be said of the people of London, that during the whole time of the pestilence, the churches or meetings were never wholly shut up, nor did the people decline coming out to the public worship of God, 
except only in some parishes, when the violence of the distemper was more particularly in that parish at that time, and even then no longer than it continued to be so. Indeed, nothing was more strange than to see with what courage the people went to the public service of God, even at that time when they were afraid to stir out of their own houses upon any other occasion. This, I mean, before the time of desperation, which I have mentioned already. This was a proof of the exceeding populousness of the city at the time of the infection, notwithstanding the great numbers that were gone into the country at the first alarm, and that fled out into the forests and woods when they were further terrified with the extraordinary increase of it. For when we came to see the crowds and throngs of people which appeared on the Sabbath days at the churches, and especially in those parts of the town where the plague was abated, or where it was not yet come to its height, it was amazing. But of this I shall speak again presently. I return in the meantime to the article of infecting one another at first, before people came to write notions of the infection, and of infecting one another. People were only shy of those that were really sick, a man with a cap upon his head, or with clothes round his neck, which was the case of those that had swellings there. Such was indeed frightful, but when we saw a gentleman dressed, with his band on and his gloves in his hat, his hat upon his head and his hair combed, of such we had not the least apprehensions, and people conversed a great while freely, especially with their neighbors, and such as they knew. But when the physicians assured us that the danger was as well from the sound, that is, the seemingly sound, as the sick, and that those people who thought themselves entirely free were oftentimes the most fatal, and that it came to be generally understood that people were sensible of it, and of the reason of it, then, I say, they began to be jealous of everybody, and a vast number of people locked themselves up, so as not to come abroad into any company at all, nor suffer any that had been abroad in promiscuous company to come into their houses, or near them, at least not so near them as to be within the reach of their breath, or of any smell from them, and when they were obliged to converse at a distance with strangers, they would always have preservatives in their mouths and about their clothes to repel and keep off the infection. It must be acknowledged that when people begin to use these cautions, they were less exposed to danger, and the infection did not break into such houses so furiously as it did into others before, and thousands of families were preserved, speaking with due reverence to the direction of divine providence, by that means. But it was impossible to beat anything into the heads of the poor. They went on with the usual impetuosity of their tempers, full of outcries and lamentations when taken, but madly careless of themselves, foolhardy and obstinate while they were well. Where they could get employment, they pushed into any kind of business, the most dangerous and the most liable to infection. And if they were spoken to, their answer would be, I must trust to God for that, if I am taken, then I am provided for, and there is an end of me, and the like. Or thus, why, what must I do? I can't starve. I had as good have the plague as perish for want. I have no work. What could I do? I must do this or beg. Suppose it was burying the dead, or attending the sick, or watching infected houses, which were all terrible hazards, but their tale was generally the same. It is true Necessity was a very justifiable, warrantable plea, and nothing could be better. 
but their way of talk was much the same where the necessities were not the same. This adventurous conduct of the poor was that which brought the plague among them in a most furious manner, and this, joined to the distress of their circumstances when taken, was the reason why they died so by heaps, for I cannot say I could observe one jot of better husbandry among them, I mean the laboring poor, while they were all well and getting money than there was before, but as lavish, as extravagant, and as thoughtless for tomorrow as ever, so that when they came to be taken sick, they were immediately in the utmost distress, as well for want as for sickness, as well for lack of food as lack of health. The misery of the poor I had many occasions to be an eyewitness of, and sometimes also of the charitable assistance that some pious people daily gave to such, sending them relief and supplies, both of food, physic, and other help, as they found they wanted. And indeed it was a debt of justice due to the temper of the people of that day to take notice here, that not only great sums, very great sums of money, were charitably sent to the Lord Mayor and Aldermen for the assistance and support of the poor, distempered people, but abundance of private people daily distributed large sums of money for their relief, and sent people about to inquire into the condition of particular distressed and visited families, and relieved them. Nay, some pious ladies were so transported with zeal in so good a work, and so confident in the protection of providence in discharge of the great duty of charity, that they went about in person distributing alms to the poor, and even visiting poor families, though sick and infected, in their very houses, appointing nurses to attend those that wanted attending, and ordering apothecaries and surgeons, the first to supply them with drugs or plasters, and such things as they wanted, and the last to lance and dress the swellings and tumors where such were wanting, giving their blessing to the poor in substantial relief to them, as well as hearty prayers for them. I will not undertake to say, as some do, that none of those charitable people were suffered to fall under the calamity itself. But this I may say, that I never knew any one of them that miscarried, which I mentioned for the encouragement of others in case of the like distress. And doubtless, if they that give to the poor lend to the Lord, and he will repay them, those that hazard their lives to give to the poor, and to comfort and assist the poor in such a misery as this, may hope to be protected in their work. Nor was this charity so extraordinarily eminent only in a few, but, for I cannot lightly quit this point, the charity of the rich, as well in the city and suburbs as from the country, was so great that, in a word, a prodigious number of people who must otherwise inevitably have perished for want as well as sickness were supported and subsisted by it, and though I could never, nor I believe anyone else, come to a full knowledge of what was so contributed, Yet I do believe that, as I heard one say, that was a critical observer of that part, there were not only many thousands pounds contributed, but many hundred thousand pounds to the relief of the poor of this distressed, afflicted city. Nay, one man affirmed to me that he could reckon up above one hundred thousand pounds a week, which was distributed by the church wardens at the several parish vestries by the Lord Mayor and Aldermen in the several wards and precincts, and by the particular direction of the court and of the justices respectively in the parts where they resided, over and above the private charity distributed by pious hands in the manner I speak of, 
and this continued for many weeks together. I confess this is a very great sum, but if it be true that there was distributed in the parish of Cripplegate only 17,800 in one week to the relief of the poor, as I have heard reported, and which I really believe was true, the other may not be improbable. It was doubtless to be reckoned among the many signal good providences which attended this great city, and of which there were many other worth recording. I say, this was a very remarkable one, that it pleased God thus to move the hearts of the people in all parts of the kingdom so cheerfully to contribute to the relief and support of the poor at London, the good consequences of which were felt many ways, and particularly in preserving the lives and recovering the health of so many thousands, and keeping so many thousands of families from perishing and starving. And now I am talking of the merciful disposition of providence in this time of calamity. I cannot but mention again, though I have spoken several times of it already on other accounts, I mean that of the progression of the distemper, how it began at one end of the town and proceeded gradually and slowly from one part to another, and like a dark cloud that passes over our heads, which, as it thickens and overcasts the air at one end, clears it up at the other end. So, while the plague went on raging from west to east, as it went forward east, it abated in the west, by which means those parts of the town which were not seized, or who were left, and where it had spent its fury, were, as it were, spared to help and assist the other. Whereas, had the distemper spread itself over the whole city and suburbs at once, raging in all places alike, as it has done since in some places abroad, the whole body of the people must have been overwhelmed, and there would have died twenty thousand a day, as they say there did at Naples, nor would the people have been able to have helped or assisted one another. For it must be observed that where the plague was in its full force, there indeed the people were very miserable, and the consternation was inexpressible but a little before it reached even to that place, or presently after it was gone, they were quite another sort of people. And I cannot but acknowledge that there was too much of that common temper of mankind to be found among us all at that time, namely, to forget the deliverance when the danger is past. But I shall come to speak of that part again. <laughs>